everyone, and welcome back to the Shivering Wells podcast. I'm so excited to have you with me today. As you know, last week we did wrap up the last pavilion on the Epcot World Showcase, so today we're going to start our Epcot overview. We start our Epcot overview with the top five Epcot restaurants. So these are the restaurants that I've personally tried at Epcot that are and have been and continue to be my personal favorites in this particular park. These are the ones I always kind of look forward to checking out. Starting with number five, I picked the Garden Grill. Um, the Disney Go description reads, visit Chippendale and their Disney pals as you dig into family style dining and revolve around the vibrant views from living with the land. This is absolutely a wonderful attraction. It used to have what were the best worms and dirt dessert which is a dessert for kids with like pudding and crushed Oreos and, and some gummy worms and stuff like that. I looked and it doesn't seem to be on the menu anymore, so that kind of gives you a hint as to how old school I am. But uh, yeah, so that used to be the best place to get that. Now I do want to let you know before I go any further with my countdown that my rating of these restaurants is based solely on the restaurant experience. Experience. If you weren't here for my Magic Kingdom countdown, I'll just kind of rehash that. This is based on my experience in these restaurants, not on any particular gourmet palate opinion that I have. So I know you'll hear other restaurant reviews of Disney that may put things in a different order, both official and otherwise, but their rating criteria are different. For me, these restaurants are more about what you will experience while you're there. For example, at the Magic Kingdom, I could go to Pecos Bills and have a plain Jane cheeseburger that's the same as any cheeseburger at Disney World, but it's Pecos Bills that makes the experience. And so to me, it is more the atmosphere and where you are that determines whether something gets on this list more so than whether that thing is like super upscale gourmet dining kind of situation you know i tend to prefer like the sci-fi dining theater that has normal average american cuisine and a pretty neat dining experience so for that reason the garden grill while it is normal typical american cuisine nothing that's gonna make you right home you know it's it's a pretty cool experience to ride around through the land um, on this basically rotating platform. Basically, you're on a giant Lazy Susan. So if any of you have a Lazy Susan in your kitchen, it's kind of like that. And you're just kind of slowly rotating through all of the different environments that you went through on the land attraction. For a review of that, you can listen to my podcast on the land. I just want to quick apologize. I do sound a little raspy today. It's the time of year where, sadly, my allergies tend to kick in. So if I do sound a little hoarse for the next couple weeks, <laughs> that's what's going on here. Thankfully, up here in the Shivering North, it does frost pretty early. And so I should be out of my misery by the end of October. But, uh, yeah, about the early fall, like the end of August, I tend to start getting some allergies and I can feel it just starting to creep up so you'll probably hear a little bit of that the next week but more importantly we're talking about the garden grill i just wanted to excuse any coughing or anything before i went further 
So you're basically, like I said, on a giant Lazy Susan, and you go through the rainforest, the desert, the prairie, and you get to check out those environments, and they are just as immersive from up on the garden grill as they are from down below. I also kind of love this because this is a place where you can meet Chip and Dale. Now, they're not Chip and Dale in their Rescue Rangers costumes, but they're not like naked Chip and Dale <laughs> that you'll see on Disney shorts, but um, they have like little farmer's outfits on with like overalls and straw hats, and it's super adorable, and it's, it's fun to have kind of this designated place where you can see them. That's kind of the perk of almost any character dining experience is that you're guaranteed to run into some characters. And not just that, but like the characters you want. Like I noticed a lot of the character spots, you'll meet, you know, say there's three characters there, you'll meet one that you want to see and two you could kind of pass. The advantage of character dining is you know exactly what characters are going to be there on what day because it's the same characters every time. So this way you can see Chip and Dale, I think when I went Pluto was there also and Goofy and Goofy's a big hit. Everybody loves Goofy because he's so sweet and adorable. So these are all pretty common characters that you can run into at this particular attraction. Again, the food is your normal average cuisine. The only thing that's truly exceptional about the food at the Garden Grill is if you did listen to my episode on the Land Pavilion, you'll notice that the food here is exceptionally fresh because it is all grown right below your feet in the land attraction. So the food from the Garden Grill is grown about as locally as food could possibly gr be grown. And it's kind of cool to know that it's never even left the building you're in. Number four, I put Beer Garden over in Germany. Now, I admit I haven't been to this one for a very, very long time, so it may be a little different now, but um, the Disney Go description says, celebrate Oktoberfest all year long with authentic German cuisine and lively entertainment. When we went, there was dancing going on, and so um, one of my cousins asked me to dance. What's funny about this is that we were both like, like small, like I think under 12 at the time, so neither of us had the slightest idea how to dance, and that made it pretty funny for our family, I guess, because they still talk about it. But, um, yeah, this is pretty fun. They've got some music and entertainment going, and it is a buffet. At this buffet, there's every possible type of sausage you could ever, ever care to imagine. And like all World Showcase pavilions, the cooks and employees there at Germany are from Germany. So they're pretty authentic sausages and kraut and potato dishes are pretty common in Germany. That's right, I have Irish and German, so I am a hardcore potato person, which is tough when you're trying to cut back those carbs, right? But, you know, at least you can make it up with all the protein that you're going to find in all of those good sausages. And fermented foods like kraut are good for your tummy, right? So, you know, I wouldn't exactly call it a light meal, but at least if you're someone who's like a keto dieter, it's, you know, at least not a super bad one. <laughs> but, yeah, it's, it's very authentic and um, absolutely delicious. I, like I said, this being ethnically part German, part Irish, part English, part Swiss, this kind of food is right up my alley because both the German and the Irish part of me de delights in a you know, basically buffet of sausage and potatoes. Sounds pretty phenomenal to me. 
Now at our house, again, since we're trying to stay away from the carbs, I tend to make cabbage and potatoes instead of sausage and potatoes, but you can get cabbage there too because it's also a thing. Like I mentioned, they have the sauerkraut there. That appeals much more to my husband than it does to me. I wish I liked sauerkraut because it's pretty good for you if you need like the probiotics, but not my jam. We talked before about how I feel about fermented foods on a different episode, so I won't rehash that. But overall, the food here is fantastic. The atmosphere, you feel like... Oh, let's see. Has anybody else seen Beowulf? You feel kind of like that opening scene in Beowulf where they're in that big hall eating and drinking and stuff like that. You feel kind of like you've been pulled right into that hall from the opening scene of Beowulf. Like it's very, it's kind of dark and rustic and you just kind of feel like you're in the Black Forest, which fits with the Germany Pavilion. Number three on my list that we've also talked about before, it is the Coral Reef Restaurant. The description says, enjoy intimate dining and spectacular views of a living coral reef and the 4,000 sea creatures who call it home. I love this one and I love to bring it and the garden grill up partially because when people think of dining in Epcot, they almost always, almost exclusively, think of the World Showcase Pavilion. So this is something that's a little different. It has, again, been quite a while since I've eaten here, but it was incredibly spectacular. They do have some non-seafood items on the menu. If you have somebody in your party, as almost any party of any size does, somebody that's averse to seafood. And so, you know, every family's got a few crazies, right? And, and so... People who don't like seafood, there's also, I think, a couple steaks and pork chops that you can also get here. Or if you do like seafood, but you know, you're know you emotionally sensitive and you feel a little uncomfortable eating fish in front of fish, that I definitely can understand as well if you're gonna feel a little self-conscious about that. Um, you are in a giant aquarium surrounded by 4,000 fish while you eat delicious seafood probably also from the land pavilion, if I'm just going to be honest here. And uh, you eat it right there in the parks, and it's absolutely beautiful. You're just surrounded, and it's such glorious beauty. You feel like you're in the bottom of the ocean just watching life as usual for all of these incredible creatures, and it's absolutely wonderful. I loved going to the Coral Reef restaurant. Before my parents took me there, I didn't know there was a restaurant in the Seas Pavilion. It is kind of tucked away and uh, it's truly a very special experience. I definitely enjoyed it. Number two on my list, I went to just this year for the first time and that is Le Cellier. The Disney Go description reads, descend into the cozy cellar of a Canadian chateau for exquisite steaks and seafood specialties. I loved the Cellier. I had never been there before and it was so much fun. It's, I guess it's it's fun but in a different way than the Garden Grill which is like character fun and silly fun. This is fun like, like you feel like you're in this rustic old wine cellar up in Canada and that's, you know, not too far from where I am so it makes me feel right at home. And it's nice and cool and dark in there and the food is phenomenal. My brother is a straight-up carnivore so going to a steaks restaurant was right up his alley. Hang on just a second, Oliver is eating his blanket. 
Alright, sorry about that. I just made bone broth, so he's got like a billion bones, but he's got to eat his blanket. Who can explain pets? Because they are crazy. Anyway, back to the cellier. The steaks were almost pretty to look at, which is funny because you don't think of a chunk of meat as being pretty to look at, but they were. They were perfectly cooked and beautiful and, you know, very well plated. I've mentioned before we had the uh, truffle poutine before and that was really excellent, which is funny because I'm not like a gravy person. Like I like gravy almost exclusively just in like chicken pot pies, like meat pies, you know, I'm not a dunk my potatoes in gravy kind of girl. And so I, when I heard poutine is like french fries with gravy on it, I, oh, I thought this sounded horrible. Like. How could anything be too much worse than that? It's actually not like a gravy gravy though. It's almost like an au jus. Like it's a much thinner sauce than I anticipated in my mind. I was thinking like like sausage gravy. Like just this thick congealy stuff being dumped over perfectly beautiful french fries that didn't do anything mean to you. But uh, no, it, it's it's a very nice sauce. It's it's more, like I said, more like a brothy texture, and then they have it with like bits of truffle, and it's really good. That was one thing that I like the <laughs> like the frozen ride. I didn't expect to like any kind of poutine, and they made me like it. Darn you, Disney, tempting me with more unhealthy things. Grr, but it was delicious. And um, then the cheddar soup that you can get here is absolutely fantastic. You can get it for a snack credit also if you don't dine at Le Cellier. Um, I know for the food and wine often they have the cheddar soup as well and it's absolutely delicious. I am a soup lover as I just mentioned. I make my own bone broth. I have some form of soup almost every single day. I like soups. I know it's really really hot in Florida most of the time but this hearty awesome soup is a great like meal switcheroo if you're on the regular standard Disney dining plan so you only have two meals a quick service and a table service this is a very wise way to use one of your snack credits and I know a lot of people get worried about snack credits because they're like oh I wasted my snack credit on a bottle of water don't do that friends you can get a free cup of ice water at anywhere that has a like a soda fountain or water machine. Use that snack credit for a meal replacement rather than a snack. And this cheddar soup is hearty enough and warm enough that it really could be a meal onto itself. And therefore, I think it's a much wiser use of your snack credit than cruising over and grabbing a Dasani. So yeah, use those snack credits wisely if you want to get the full value. And also if you just don't want to be like hungry the rest of the day. So this cheddar soup is absolutely amazing. This is also where if you saw my YouTube video with the top 10 Disney treats, um, this is where I got the chocolate mousse. And it's not just like a chocolate mousse, like a chocolate dessert that's been whip, 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 whipped up into this like thick foamy fury. This is shaped like an actual mousse, like with antlers and it's so adorable you guys it's i mean it's delicious too but more importantly it's so cute i loved it and i when i went i had my happy birthday pin because the last day of our trip was actually my birthday so the moose was holding like a little sugar edible 
almost like a pennant and it said happy birthday on it and he had his little antlers and it was so adorable i just loved the chocolate mousse and it was kind of hard for me to eat him because he was really cute and we've talked about when we talked about miyuki the candy lady how i sometimes struggle to eat something if it's too pretty like it, it becomes a real moral conflict for me because i know somebody worked hard on it but i did eventually eat him because we had rides to ride and places to go but he was really really cute and i did feel a little bit of sadness when i did it but then chocolate has endorphins so those kind of washed my sadness away and i continued to eat the mousse <laughs> oh poor guy i still I mean, i'm sure you can hear i still feel a little bad about it but at the same time elated like it's a complicated emotion but Le Cellier is where the chocolate mousse came in from my top 10 treats youtube video so you know, you know that it's good when the top 10 treats was from all of the parks together and it's still pulled in from this specific park. So that's pretty high recommendation for that particular treat in that video. So definitely visit La Salier. As we went, we were a party of five, six, seven. Yeah, seven. And I didn't see any meal among all of our seven guests that looked like it was anything short of exceptional. It truly, he knocked over his bone. It truly was an incredible experience and definitely worth stopping at again. My number one favorite restaurant experience at Epcot was the Sen and Hell Inn restaurant. Only been here once pretty normal Mexican food fair. I mean, it's Disney, so it is really good, <laughs> but pretty normal Mexican food, but the experience is unbeatable. You are sitting right at the base of that big pyramid, that, that like Mayan or Incan pyramid that you see as soon as you walk in the Mexico pavilion. The sunset is setting in the background no matter what time of day it is outside. There's like a little thunderstorm going on and the volcano is glowing and oh my goodness guys, it's so beautiful and you're right by that river where people are going by on the uh, Grand Fiesta tour and it's absolutely breathtaking. I've told you guys before how much I adore the inside of the Mexico Pavilion because just passing through a few doors makes you feel like you're in a totally different world. Just instantly you're transported to this different place and this almost different headspace like your mind just kind of steps back and goes whoa what time was it again because you step into this pavilion and you really are in to borrow from disney a whole new world and eating there right by that big pyramid i mean it's just it's so lovely i don't even remember what i ordered honestly it was just so beautiful and there's so much to look at and it was such a great experience you feel like you're in like a little cafe in mexico in a bunch of ancient ruins and it's i know it's impossible they probably don't let you eat there but it was so gorgeous and i highly recommend going here just because it's an experience that is full of so much beauty that you will remember it forever absolutely as always with all of these Disney restaurants, the service was exceptional and friendly, and it truly is a wonderful experience. If any of you have never been to the Mexico Pavilion, if it looks 
kind of plain on the outside or if you're there for a convention and you're staying at Coronado Springs so you're like eh my resort is like this only bigger and better so I'll just move on to the next one go inside that building it is breathtaking it is amazingly beautiful you feel like you've been transported right into not even into Coco because everything's so animated in Coco you feel like you're in Zorro like it's amazingly beautiful and I just really want everybody to experience at least going inside this pavilion but especially eating at this particular restaurant it's amazing absolutely amazing an honorable mention on my list I do want to put the Kringala Bakery Ag Cafe my husband and I during our last trip since we had each had like I think two snacks a day allotted for our meal plan. What we did was each of us would get a different snack at a couple different countries. And basically what we did, it's really silly, but we compared um, like apple pie versions from various different countries and that was kind of fun. So we tried like a Germany version of apple pie and, and a Canada version of apple pie and we had a good time with it. It was kind of funny. So we'd each use one of our snack credits and then split that dessert and then try something else later and it was a lot of fun. So we got to nibble on these things while watching them I almost said Imaginations, Illuminations, and it was a lot of fun, um, but one of the places we stopped was the Kringle Bakery Odd Cafe, and the uh, cast members there were incredibly friendly and sweet, and it is just a quick, like, counter service, basic snack kind of place, but it, the cast members really made it special. Our last name is German, and so they told us the more traditional way to pronounce our last name. I'm still not sure that I can do it correctly, but, but they made it sound easy, and it was really, really cool. I just really enjoyed the experience, and um, I definitely want them to go on my honorable mention list. The only reason why they aren't on the list list is because as more of a, a snacky place rather than a meal place. I didn't feel it was, you know, quite up there to put in with other restaurants, especially not like Le Cellier or the San Angel restaurant. Continuing on with the podcast, our next segment, I'm going to go ahead and cover the jewel on the crown of Epcot. I'm going to talk about Illuminations. Illuminations is the fireworks show that goes over Epcot at the end of the day every single day and it has for almost 20 years. It is incredible. I am a fireworks girl. I love fireworks. On the other hand, I really strongly dislike poopy fireworks. Like if you've got wimpy, inadequate fireworks, don't come to me. But like if you have real fireworks, I love them and I could stare for hours. So the combinations of fireworks and music together for illuminations is absolutely breathtaking and it is a salute to all of the nations around the hub there at World Showcase. It opened on October 1, 1995, or sorry, 1999. Previous versions include Carnival de Lumiere, A New World of Fantasy, Laserphonic Fantasy, Holiday Illuminations, Illuminations 5A, or sorry, Illuminations 25A, Illuminations 25B, Illuminations, Illuminations 2000, Reflections of Earth, and now Illuminations, Reflection of Earth. It was originally started as a celebration for the new millennium, which is why it started in late 
1999, but it was so popular that the name Illuminations 2000 Reflections of Earth dropped the 2000 and it was kept as a permanent or semi-permanent part of the park. The introduction when the show opens is narrated by Jim Cummings, who you may know as the voice of Tigger from Winnie and the Pooh, as Winnie the Pooh from Winnie the Pooh, um, as Ray from The Princess and the Frog, and literally just dozens and dozens and dozens of Disney voices. So if he does sound familiar as it opens, he's a pretty big Disney staple, and lots of times his voice is not necessarily immediately recognizable as him because he really is very gifted at his voice acting abilities. However, I think in this case he narrated just as himself, so it's not quite as difficult. The introduction is as follows. Good evening. On behalf of Walt Disney World, the place where dreams come true, we welcome all of you to Epcot and World Showcase. We are gathered here tonight around the fire as people of all lands have gathered for thousands and thousands of years before us to share the light and to share a story. An amazing story, as old as time itself, but still being written. And though each of us has our own individual stories to tell, a true adventure emerges when we bring them all together as one. We hope you enjoy our story tonight, Reflections of Earth. And from there, you hear like this sound like the, uh, like the fires are being blown out. And sure enough, all of the torches, all of the lights, everything around the World Showcase Lagoon goes dark. And then the Inferno Barge out in the middle of the World Showcase Lagoon bursts into flames. The opening act is called Chaos, and it's meant to symbolize the birth of the planet Earth itself, the very creation story. And so everything is just lights and lasers and everything all together with this giant fire in order to kind of represent the incredibly wild action of a planet coming to be. Act two is called Order. The flame on on the barge just kind of simmers down to a much more controlled flame and at that point fireworks and water jets and fountains and lasers all begin the symphonic show with music from all of the different pavilions just kind of slightly altered for the show and it's incredibly beautiful at this point too all of the countries around world showcase lagoon do begin to Um, light up and are illuminated by both lights and fountains and fireworks all over the pavilion except for the Morocco pavilion because the buildings in Morocco are replicas of religious buildings they remain dark and then to give symmetry to that the Norway pavilion does not light up either from here in the third act high launch fireworks are shot up and again timed beautifully with the music and um The whole show ends with a giant white flash of lights and a loud crackle, which can often be heard within several miles outside of the park. So this crackle is is very final, and then the bright light just kind of all concludes the whole show, and it's very dazzling. This is followed by the Tapestry of Nations soundtrack as the show has come to a close, and you can continue along your day 
exploring Epcot. There's usually not too much to do after this because it's usually pretty close to park close time, but it is an amazing show. My one caveat is that people do start lining up for the show hours ahead of time and they will encourage you to do the same. If you have a smaller party, I really don't see the need to do this. My husband and I were able to get right up to the fence by ourselves and they're really wasn't anybody in our way we didn't have to like elbow our way through it was pretty easy last minute to just saunter up with our snacks and watch the show from the fence and um i think a lot of this is because there were just the two of us so it was pretty easy to squish ourselves into a smaller gap whereas if we had been there with the whole party of seven the little spot that he and i chose wouldn't have worked well for all of us because it was just a little tiny gap in the crowd one thing you should note if you're heading to Epcot anytime soon, you're going to want to stay as late as you can and see this show. Even if it means you have to take your kids back in the middle of the day to rest at the hotel in the pool for a couple hours and come back to the park. Because Illuminations closes once and for all on September 30, 2019. This is one day short of it being a perfect 20 year run unless you count the soft opening which opened a little ways before then it will have been a full 20 year run for this particular and much beloved show this will be replaced with epcot forever on october 1 2019. today's character connection is bambi this movie was made in 1942 and based on the book bambi a life in the woods by austrian author felix salkin Bambi tells the story of a young male mule deer, his parents, and his friends in the woods. It starts at his birth and his learning how to walk and speak, etc. One day, while out feeding with his mother, she is killed by a hunter. This puts him in the care of his father, the great prince of the forest. Bambi is next seen as an adult. He courts his former friend, Feline, and wins her with a fight with another stag. Bambi, Feline, and the prince manage to avoid the hunter, and he is next seen watching as Feline has his twins, and he is now the great prince of the forest. Thus, life has come full circle. The book is strongly less sentimental than the movie. Bambi, Bambi's time with his mother is filled with neglect and fear. She literally spends most of the book teaching him what to be afraid of, when he should be afraid, how much just kind of fear he should have at all times when there's not anything specific to be afraid of, what to do when you are afraid, how to hide from the things you're afraid of. The forest friends, which are so close with Bambi and strong mentors in his life in the movie, are really much more distant in the book. This is because they tend to be less civil to each other and instead focused urgently on going about their day in a frantic mixture of busyness and fear. Bambi is originally a roe deer and not a mule deer. However, Disney made it a mule deer so that it would be more accurate to place the story in America rather than in Europe. The author is Austrian and the hugely popular book was aimed more at adults than at children, which is why it has a very grim, severe overtone and why there's so much kind of anxiety present in the story. 
1936, the book was banned from the German Nazis for being a political allegory on the treatment of Jews in Europe. So there is some controversy surrounding the book, just because the Nazi party assumed that it was actually about, um, about the treatment of Jews in Europe, whereas environmentalists tend to take it with like a rather heavy anti-hunting message. So this is one of those books where if it's an allegory for anything, it's never said specifically what, so people tend to see in it an allegory for what they specifically are looking for the symbolism to mean, basically. In America, in the Disney version, it was originally seen to be an anti-hunting movie as well. However, if you look at the story and the setting, in the early 1900s, wolves were nearly wiped out from the Yellowstone area and the West in general, as they were thought to be a threat to ranchers and their cattle. However, the elimination of the apex predator in this area deeply impacted the deer population, as we see in Bambi. In the scenes where they're at the meadow, there are dozens and dozens and dozens more male deer than there are females. This is very unnatural. Typical deer behavior will place one or two males in the home of several females. And so it's unusual to see a case like we do in Bambi where the herd is so dominated by tons and tons and tons of males. And so a lot of hunters use this as evidence that the herd in Bambi is very unstable, very unhealthy, and um, that perhaps that this takes place during the time when their apex predator was gone due to human impact. And so in modern times, a lot of people associate the herd makeup of this particular movie to be a symbolism that this takes place, as Disney puts it, in the Yellowstone area while all of the wolves were gone. Therefore, it is my belief that this movie takes place between the 1800s and early 1900s when the wolves were almost completely wiped out. And then between that time and the early 1940s when the movie takes place. At this point, we as a country had not begun to reintroduce the wolf population back into the West. So these herds of herbivores without their keystone species in the area, which is the wolf, were overgrazing and causing huge overpopulation problems in the area and destroying the grasses and the trees and all of the plant life that was supposed to be there and eventually becoming very sick and weak because there weren't enough resources to feed them without their natural predator to pick off the weaker members of the flock. You can also see this in Bambi because so many of the male deers are older, which is not typical. Again, usually as deer would get older and perhaps a little less strong, a little less reproductive, a wolf would naturally take down those older deer or pick off one or two of the children because they are, again, weaker, less likely to injure the wolf in the process of the fight. And therefore, the population would have been much more small and much more balanced. So this is kind of what I use to justify this time period, that this probably takes place between 1900 and 1942 in the American West. This is also supported by the fact that in the movie, you don't see any predators at all except for humans, and Friend Owl in the movie. And Friend Owl is not about to take down any deer. Friend Owl is one predator 
in the midst of thousands and thousands and thousands of herbivores. So he's not going to be able to do much to balance the impact of the loss of the wolves, which was keenly felt in this area at the time. So even though the description of Bambi is very vague, it says that it's either in the American West or Canada, or sorry, American Northwest or Canada, and that's it. I place it in the American West near the Yellowstone area between 1900 and 1942. Once we were able to have the deers be hunted more by their natural predator, the environment did kind of even itself out out there and the herds shrunk down to a healthier, more maintainable size. You've got to say it was probably a pretty great deal for the first few wolves introduced out there because it would be like a buffet. I mean, there were rabbits and deer and stuff everywhere, so the wolves could pretty much take their pick, but now it's back to a pretty normal balance. So that concludes today's episode for the most part. With one final note here, I know unboxings are kind of the big thing to do online right now and I've had a couple of you kind of contact me through my email shiveringmouse at gmail.com to try and see whether I was planning to do any um, unboxings of anything in the future since that seems to be what everybody and their brother is doing right now. The truth of the matter is that does kind of depend on you. I've noticed people who successfully do a lot of unboxings are generally pretty funny about it. I'm going to be honest with you guys, I cannot be funny deliberately. The only times I've ever successfully gotten more than like a little chuckle out of people was when I was funny on accident. So truth be told, I'm not sure how an unboxing would work because, you know, generally they're people that are pretty funny. I'm just really not. When I try to be, it's really sad. It's, it's awful. But if you were interested in an unboxing i have to know what kind of unboxing you guys would be interested in there are a couple different things that i thought i might look into um basically a couple different monthly subscriptions like walt life mickey monthly mouse merch boxney disney premiere pack disney park pass theme park monthly circa 1955 or main street creations are the options that i have on my short list how I would do it is that then my patrons would get a video every single week on Patreon where they'd get to see the unboxing and see what new and creative Disney merch I would get that month. The caveat is to see the unboxing, you would have to be one of my subscribers for at least a dollar or more on my Patreon page. Why I would hold this back for nobody but patrons is simply because they would be the ones paying for it and therefore should be the ones who benefit from it. So. If you guys want to see me do an unboxing and have a specific subscription you would like to see me subscribe to for the unboxing just to kind of preview that subscription. If you've been looking at one of these services and wonder what comes in them monthly and you'd like kind of a preview before you invest your money in it, like, subscribe, join my Patreon page. I need enough patrons to be able to pay for one of these services to make it worth it for me to be able to subscribe. So again, you'd have to join in order to view the unboxing 
and I'd be happy to do that for you. It would be super fun to do these together, but I would need enough supporters to be able to do it. If you're already a subscriber and want to see an unboxing, go ahead and recommend joining my Patreon page to a bunch of your friends so that we can get this done. I know you guys have a lot of Facebook friends that you could shout out the podcast to if we get enough subscribers. We'll go ahead and pick a program, whichever one the most of you are interested in seeing what's inside the boxes and we'll go ahead and get it started. So that's patreon.com slash shiveringmouse. If you want to contact me anywhere else, there's the aforementioned email. You can check out my blog at shiveringmouse at wordpress.com or you can contact me on Facebook or Twitter at shiveringmouse1. I will look forward to hearing from you and whether you would be interested in some kind of unboxing program. I think it's a really neat idea and there's really a lot of variety from subscription to subscription to see kind of what everybody would be interested in. They're all really unique and I'm, I'm kind of excited to see if this is something we can add to our podcast in the future. Thank you so much for tuning in today. it's Nikki again just wanting to add some concluding notes into this particular podcast things I noticed as I was going through and doing the editing at one point I said that uh, that you can have cabbage and potatoes what I meant was cabbage and sausage instead of potatoes so I'm not implying that you should be like just on a carb and potato diet that's or carb and cabbage diet I meant to say potatoes, or sorry, I meant to say sausage. See, I can't do it now. I meant to say sausage and I said potatoes. So that's just for clarification because I did just kind of keep moving on when I was talking about beer garden and I didn't uh, stop and clarify that because I didn't realize I said it till the end. Also, just as a kind of a final note to um, my proposal about doing an unboxing, if I did do that, most of the boxes that I've looked into would send you a few Disney products every week where some of the boxes are like snacks, some are pins, some are stuffed animals. What I would likely do if, um, if we got one of these package deals and they sent it to me every month is then at the end of the month I would probably put all of my patrons names in a hat and draw out a prize for my patrons and send it to one of the patrons at the end of each month so that way you guys could kind of participate with the unboxing as well so the unboxing would also turn into kind of a giveaway just because I don't think I would need everything that came in every box and it would be a fun way to kind of get you guys involved too because I would love more participation with the podcast so again if that at all changes which ones you like you guys might be interested in go ahead and let me know I look forward to hearing from you